0: It's good to see you tonight, church, and really good to worship with you, and how wonderful was it to hear Pauline's testimony before? Um, Just so fitting for tonight as we look at the claim, don't let anyone tell you what to do. I love how she said, when you look inside, there's more anxiety there, but as she looked at Jesus, she found her voice. Very, very cool. If I haven't met you before, I'm Ben. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and we're in the middle of a series right now called Half Truths exploring some common claims. And the reason that we're in this series as a church is because we want to help ourselves, we want to help you to follow Jesus in this culture. You know, sometimes culture shapes us without us realizing it. It's kind of like if you could speak to a fish, they might not be that aware that they're swimming in water, they just think it's normal, they just assume that's how life is, but they don't realize that there are other species who live in the air, who breathe air, for example. And our culture can be a little bit like that. We don't realize it's all around us and it shapes us. And so what we're doing is we're looking at some common claims that our culture often puts out there. And we're asking, is this biblical? Is this where Jesus would want us to go? And where does it lead us anyway? Does it lead us into life or does it lead us down somewhere darker? Last week, we looked at the claim, do whatever makes you happy, and this week, we're looking at the claim, don't let anyone tell you what to do. Now, we're going to put a picture on the screen now. I wonder if you've seen this movie before. Who's seen Mulan? Yep, a few of us. I, I love this movie as a kid. If you haven't seen it before, Mulan was a Chinese girl um, in the Chinese empire, and she was, uh, as she was growing up, she didn't really fit the typical mold. Uh, her family wanted her to bring honor to the family by sort of following the traditional pathway, getting married, finding a husband, starting a family, but that wasn't really what she wanted to do. And one of these suitors or whatnot came and examined her, and they said, you're a disgrace to your family. She didn't fit that mold. And in the meantime, what was going on was a threat to the Chinese emperor and his people. There were people invading, and so he was enlisting people for the army. And her father was conscripted, her elderly father. Now, women couldn't join the army, but Mulan embodied that piece of advice. Don't let anyone tell you what to do. So she didn't go down that traditional pathway into marriage. She didn't listen to the laws of the land that said only men could be part of the army. So she disguised herself as a man, joined the army, and as you follow along the movie, she's successful. She ends up saving the emperor's life. She's honored by the emperor. She's accepted back by her family. Everything goes on happily ever after. Don't let anyone tell you what to do. Now, at the time, this was one of Disney's most successful movies. They made over $300 million at the box office. But I wonder if you know that Mulan was actually originally a Chinese legend from, I don't know, how many years ago. And so they thought, well, we'll release it in China. Surely it's going to do very well over there, considering how well it's done over here. And when they released it in China, I can see a couple of people chuckling already. When they released it in China, guess how much it made at the box office? $30,000. it was a complete flop. Now an American newspaper looked into this and they interviewed uh, a Chinese viewer and this is what she said about Mulan. She said, she's too individualistic. Americans don't know enough about Chinese culture. I thought that was kind of funny, but um, yeah, Americans don't know enough about Chinese culture. So a movie that might warm our hearts actually wasn't that successful in another country. And the reason I point that out is because that message, don't let anyone tell you what to do, that belief that you belong to yourself, that you should follow your heart, that you should do what you believe is right, and not let anyone else dictate that. Over in in Western countries like Australia, we might think that's just how people think, but that's actually a belief that's particular to our own culture, not in other countries or Eastern countries like China, for example. For example. This message is not just in our movies, it's also in our songs. One of the songs from the film, The Greatest Showman, has over 100 million views on YouTube. It's called, This Is Me. And I wanna read some of, the, some of the lines to us. It says this, I am brave, I am bruised, I am who I'm meant to be. This is me. Look out, cause here I come. And I'm marching onto the beat, I drum. I'm not scared to be seen. I make no apologies. This is me. Now, the reason I share this movie and the song with you is not to ruin all your favorite things, but to show you that the reason that they're accepted in our culture, the reason that they're celebrated in our culture, is because they affirm our culture's message of extreme personal fulfillment, of individualism without restraint, don't let anyone tell you what to do, is part of our cultural message. You know, we don't always realize how our culture shapes us, but beliefs are not just benign or neutral. They shape us, they lead us somewhere. And so we want to ask, where is this belief leading us? Now, the Bible acknowledges that there are some times where you shouldn't let others tell you what to do, like abusive people, or Proverbs 29, verse 12 says, if a ruler listens to lies, all his officials become wicked. So, rulers shouldn't gather deceptive people around themselves or people who just tell them what they want to hear. They need honest people around them. But what I want you to show you today is that if you never let anyone tell you what to do, if you bind that message completely, if you never let anyone tell you what to do, you won't be truly happy it will fail you and let me show you why this common sense advice in our culture will fail you and hurt you in the end I've got three reasons for you here's the first if you don't let anyone tell you what to do you will lose freedom you will actually lose freedom now that sounds kind of contradictory. I mean, we think if we don't let anyone else tell us what to do, if we say I belong to me and I'm going to do what I believe is right no matter what, we think that sounds like freedom. But listen to how Paul counters that message in the church of Corinth. In our passage, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 12, here's what it says. Paul quotes something that the Corinthians believed. So they, this is what they believed. I have the right to do anything. Similar to us in our day, right? I have the right to do anything and here's how Paul counters it. But, Paul says, I will not be mastered by anything. They say I have the right to do anything, but Paul says I will not be mastered by anything. You see, when we think that we can exchange God's rule over us for some, we can just reject it, we don't just reject God's rule, we exchange it for the rule of something else. We are not Little gods, we are not self created, we are not self existent, we are not independent, we're creatures, we've been created by God. And whether you're a Christian or not, you know, even the Big Bang Theory shows that the universe has an origin, it had a beginning, there was nothing before there was something, before there was all of this. And I find it more logical to believe that someone who was eternal and, and all-powerful and intelligent created something than to believe that nothing created all of this. You are a creature. You are created. And we cannot escape our creatureliness. No matter how much we might try to be self-existed, sort of God-like individuals, we will always end up serving something. We will always end up worshipping something, even if that's not our culture's view of God or whatever it might be. Let me quote from David Foster Wallace. He, he's not a Christian, but he recognizes this truth. And this is what he says. He uses the language of worship to make his point. Here's what he says. Here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power. You'll end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect. Being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious things about these forms of worship is not necessarily that they're evil or sinful, it's that they're unconscious. They are default settings. You see, his point is that we all worship. We all have a reason to get up out of the bed in the morning. We've all put our hope in something. We've all tied our joy to something. We all seek meaning in life. We're meaning seekers, we're creatures. And wherever we tap our meaning, that thing ends up ruling over us. So it's not possible to have total freedom and autonomy as our culture defines it. We're worshipers, we're meaning seekers. Don't let anyone tell you what to do is bad advice because it's actually not possible. You will end up having something ruling your life whether you're conscious of it or not. And the problem with that is, if you reject God, usually everything else is going to destroy your life in the end. David Foster Wallace has showed us how money will take everything from you. Power, intelligence, beauty, whatever it is, even if it's a, a family member who's normally good to you, they will fail you at times. They can't hold the weight of your worship. If we reject God's rule, we will end up being mastered by something else, and we will lose freedom in the process popular song from last year illustrates this point uh, it was very influential song you might have heard it before let's just play it for you I'm a circle for you I said I have go I'm a circle for you Nah, I'm not gonna dance. I feel like I should dance or something. I'm not gonna play a song ever again in my sermons because I feel so awkward standing up there just listening to it. I feel like I'm supposed to be doing something. (laughs) But this is one of the most popular songs of 2020. It has over a billion plays on Spotify, all right? So it's an influential song. It's obviously resonated with a lot of people. And here are some of what the lyrics say. I'm a sucker for you. You say the word and I'll go anywhere blindly. I'm a sucker for you. Any road you take, you know that you'll find me. I'm a sucker for all the subliminal things no one knows about you. And you're making the typical me break my typical rules. It's true. I'm a sucker for you. Now, these lyrics are written by someone who is being ruled by this romantic sort of infatuation by someone else. They're breaking their own typical rules because they can't help it. They just so need this person's approval, love, and affection. It's an example of how we are ruled by something else when we reject the rule of God. We will always worship something because we are creatures, not self-created, self-sufficient gods. I love the way this guy Joshua D. Chatraw puts it. Here's the solution for us. He says the key to true freedom isn't to exhaust ourselves on the impossible task of avoiding being mastered, but rather to submit ourselves to the one we were made to love and serve. So our goal should not be to avoid being mastered. That's not possible. Our goal is to find the right master. Our goal is to find a good master. Our goal is to find someone we can trust who will love us, who will not fail us. And the claim of the Bible is that this master is God. If you don't let anyone tell you what to do, you will lose freedom. That's our first point. The second Thing that will happen is if we don't let anyone else tell us what to do, we will lose relationships. We will lose relationships. Paul addresses that in the other part of verse 12. He quotes them again. He says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. Not everything is beneficial. What does he mean? Well, the Corinthians had a lot of issues going on in their church. And some scholars joke that they weren't actually Practicing Christianity, they were practicing Corinthianity. See, what happened was all the cultural values of the city of Corinth had sort of infiltrated the church and were shaping them, and there was a lot of issues going on. There's a lot of divisions, there were factions, there were believers suing each other. And one of the issues that they were dealing with was this issue of food sacrifice to idols. So some Christians believe that you could eat a meal that was offered up to a false God because It's no real God anyway, it's just a dead statue, it's got no power, I can eat that meal. Other Christians in Corinth were saying, no, my conscience doesn't agree with that, it's been offered up to a false god, I I can't participate in a meal like that. And what Paul is saying is that to argue over this is besides the point, you've you've lost already when you do that. He says, you might have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial for others. We're given freedom by Christ to benefit others, not to just serve ourselves. Not everything is beneficial. So, when Paul's saying that, he says we need to use our freedoms for the benefit of others. If we say we have the right to do whatever we want, that no one else can tell us what to do, we ignore the fact that we are responsible for others in some ways. We're responsible to fellow human beings. We're part of the same human family. And especially in the church, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're responsible for each other's well-being. But if we ignore that fact, if we live like that, like the Corinthians, we'll end up hurting others and we'll experience social breakdown. Timothy Keller demonstrates this point by talking about the movie Calvary. Calvary. And this is what Timothy Keller says. Brendan Gleeson in the movie Calvary plays a man who goes into the Catholic priesthood later in life. He has a daughter who recently failed in a suicide attempt. As he expresses his concern to her, she says assertively, I belong to myself, not to anyone else. Her father answers, it's a tired old argument, I suppose, but what about those you leave behind? Though Western people like to think of themselves as mainly the product of their own decisions and choices, such is not the case. You are the product of a family and a community of people who invested massive amounts of time, industry, and love in you, much of it happening before you could speak and before you can now remember. To commit suicide, the priest rightly says, is to strike a blow and inflict a pain on many that will never be healed. And the question is, What right do you have to darken their lives permanently? I share that with you because we end up doing injustice if we act as if we only belong to ourselves. If we buy into the myth that I belong to me, I can do whatever I want as long as I don't hurt anyone else. I'm not going to let anyone tell me what to do. If we base our lives on that, we will hurt others when we will corrode community in general and in particular, committed, loving, enduring relationships. And that was what was happening to the Corinthians. But Paul said that kind of thinking is not beneficial to others. Now, that should be reason enough for us to agree with Paul and with God's word that if you don't let anyone tell you what to do, you'll lose relationships. But scientific research also shows that it's not beneficial for you personally either. Jonathan hate. He's an American psychologist and professor, and he was voted a couple by a couple of different magazines as one of the globe's most influential thinkers. And he did some research on this, and this was his conclusion. He said, Having loving, committed relationships strengthens the immune system, extends life more than does quitting smoking, speeds recovery from surgery, and reduces the risks of depression and anxiety disorders. We need to interact and intertwine with others. We need the give and the take. We need to belong. But here's the thing, he says. An ideology of extreme personal freedom can be dangerous because it encourages people to leave homes, jobs, cities, and marriages in search of personal and professional fulfillment, thereby breaking the relationships that were probably their best hope for such fulfillment an ideology of extreme personal freedom corrodes community and relationships the very things that will probably more likely to bring us happiness than extreme freedom would anyway the context for so much of our happiness is committing committed loving relationships but these relationships require the loss of freedom you know i gave an example this morning to church to the morning services that when I used to go to the Reformed Theological College in Melbourne for for intensives, I'd go there for a week and my freedom levels would go up. You know, I wouldn't have to change nappies or anything like that. After I finished studying, I could go into the city and explore and eat meals. But I was also feeling a bit more lonely. I was also missing my wife and my family. My freedom went up, but my sort of satisfaction levels and my, my love tank was down a little bit. Now, as soon as I went home, my freedom levels went right down to the bottom. Changing nappies, running after Silas all day. Um, Freedom levels went right down. I couldn't just go out whenever I want. I couldn't just do whatever I wanted without telling Mashan or something like that. I was responsible to them. But my happiness, my fulfillment, my satisfaction levels went up. I enjoyed myself because I love my family. It's a committed, loving environment you don't let anyone tell you what to do it actually works against your happiness you will lose freedom and you will lose relationships and finally thirdly you will lose life you will lose life now this point is a little confronting but i want us to show i want to show you where this thinking will eventually lead us if we accept it fully you see you do not own your life The claim that you shouldn't let anyone tell you what to do assumes you do, but you don't. You are not self-created. You were brought into being by your parents, first of all, and you were created by God. And in our passage for Christians, it says you were bought at a price by Jesus. In Isaiah 29, it says this, it says, Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, You did not make me. Can the pot say to the potter, You know nothing. The answer is no. We are created beings. We must humbly acknowledge that the Creator knows more than we do, that He imbues our life with meaning and purpose, that He teaches us how to be human, that He knows the path to life and happiness. And we are warned about what will happen if we don't let God tell us what to do in Romans chapter 2. It says in verse 8, but for those who are self seeking, who put themselves first, and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good. So if we don't let God tell us what to do, if we're self seeking and we reject the truth that He's given us, We will experience wrath and anger there will be trouble and distress now verse 10 that i read says but glory honor and peace for everyone who does good is kind of misleading because we leave it there we might think that christianity is about being a good person and that's what so many people think they think that we come together in church on sundays that we think we're pretty decent people that someone gets up and tells us how to be better people maybe shouts at us a little and then we go home and we try and be good people again But that's not what the Christian message is fundamentally about. Here's what the Christian message is about. I'm just gonna take it straight from Romans chapter three. I'm gonna read it and explain it to us. In Romans chapter three, verse nine, it says this. Paul says, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. So he's talking as a Jewish person. He's saying, we have the Old Testament law, but he's saying we don't have an advantage over non-Jewish people, over Gentiles. And here's why. He says, For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. So, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you have the Old Testament or not, we're under the power of sin. And that's the problem that Christianity deals with. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And from that moment, sin's curse entered into the human story. And every single human being born into this world was born under this curse of sin that makes us want to reject God's rule that makes us want to choose what is good for ourselves and always ends up leading to death and to hurt. In verse 10 it says, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Verse 20, therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. So that just completely breaks our culture's view of what Christianity is sometimes. He says, no one will be declared righteous by works of the law in God's sight. No one will be declared righteous by trying to live a good life. It's not enough. Romans chapter 3 teaches us that even if we do some good things on a human level, we never end up becoming fully righteous, it's never enough compared to the beauty and the perfection of God. This is why we need Jesus. Verse 20, it continues on. Rather, it's through the law that we become conscious of our sin. The Old Testament and the law was given to us not to help us find our way back to God, but to show us how far we fell short from God. Verse 21 says, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. So that's talking about the Old Testament. The righteousness of God has been made known that was promised in the Old Testament. Verse 22, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So here's how we get right standing before God. Faith in Jesus the Christ. Faith that Jesus was the rescuer that God sent. Faith that Jesus secured our relationship with God. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, Paul says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And what was that redemption? What was that price that Jesus paid? Well, verse 25 says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood, to be received by faith. In the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, there's this ceremony that the Jews and the, the Israelites would observe. It was called the Day of Atonement. That word atonement, it just means at one How to make two people one, right? So right at the heart of the ceremony was how do sinful Israel and holy Yahweh, our God, become one? How do they coexist together? And so this Day of Atonement dealt with that symbolically. And right at the heart of this Day of Atonement, you can read about it in Leviticus 16. There were these two goats presented before the temple. One goat was killed, its blood was shed, and the other goat was banished into the wilderness out of the presence of God. And it symbolized what needed to happen to restore our relationship with God. Blood had to be shed. That was the price for our sin banishment, judgment, exile, that's what we deserved. And Romans 3 says that God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. I think that's amazing, that Jesus humbly, willingly decided to take the role of those two goats, take the role of the sacrifice of atonement. His blood was shed. He was banished from God's presence. He cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He went through that because of his love for sinners. So that he might perform atonement, that he might make us one with God and bring us back into relationship with him. And Paul says that's how we are declared righteous by putting our faith in Jesus. In what he has done. Romans chapter 2 told us if we don't let anyone tell us what to do if we are self-seeking, if we reject the truth, there will be wrath and anger, there will be judgment. We will lose life. But Romans 3 teaches us that if we listen to God and, and what God wants us to do is put our faith in his son Jesus, if we will listen to him, we will be declared Righteous we will be forgiven, we will be made one with God again, brought into that communion, into that relationship that will satisfy our souls. If you never let anyone tell you what to do, you'll never be truly happy. But if you let Jesus tell you what to do, if you let God tell you what to do, you will discover a happiness that cannot be taken away from you. Timothy Keller says, Christianity is the only religion that claims God gave up his freedom so we could experience the ultimate freedom from evil and death itself. Therefore, you can trust him. He sacrifices independence for you so you can sacrifice yours for him. And when you do, you will find that it is the ultimate, infinitely liberating constraint. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. One of the reasons God went to the cross is because he wants you to trust him. He wanted to expose his heart to you to the fullest extent and say, this is who I am, self-sacrificial love. And on behalf of Christ today, I want to ask you to let him tell you what to do, to trust in Jesus, to humbly accept his wisdom for your life. And this is what Jesus is saying to us tonight. Matthew 11, it says this. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So tonight, if you haven't yet put your trust in Jesus, I want to ask you to, to take that step. If you wanna make peace with God, you can put your trust in Christ. I'm not gonna make you do anything in front of anyone, but if you wanna do that, you can just quietly say in your heart, Jesus, I put my trust in you. I don't wanna follow myself. I don't wanna rule myself. I wanna come under your rule. I wanna take your yoke upon me. Give me the rest that you promise. You can do that right now. For those of us who would already call ourselves followers of Jesus, I want to ask you to trust His wisdom for your life on the day-to-by-day basis, to embrace His teaching, to come under His Word, to let His Spirit win in your heart, to let Jesus tell you what to do. You know, we so often, I so often, ignore Jesus' voice, but there's really no reason why we should be doing that. He has proven His love for us. He has proven that He is good that he is for us, that he wants to give us life abundantly, even if it's difficult, even if it hurts sometimes. Proverbs 14, verse 12 says, There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. Beware of cultural half truths that sound right in the moment, because Jesus would tell you that true and lasting life is only ever found in him. He has shown us that we can trust him. And this is something that Louisa Stead teaches us in her life. She was a lady born in 1850, and one author writes about her story. This is what he wrote. When Louisa's daughter was four years of age, the family decided one day to enjoy the sunny beach at Long Island Sound, New York. While eating their picnic lunch, they suddenly heard cries of help and spotted a drowning boy in the sea. Mr. Stead charged into the water. As often happens, however, the struggling boy pulled his rescuer under the water with him and both drowned before the eyes of wife and daughter. It was a tragedy. And he writes about how, over the coming weeks, she would ask why. And the way she responded to that tragic situation was not by rejecting God. Actually, she found great comfort by running to God, by putting a trust in Jesus, by putting more and more trust in Jesus. And the reason I can say that is because this is what she wrote during that tragedy. She wrote a hymn that you might know. And here are the lyrics. She wrote this. "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take Him at His word, just to rest upon His promise, just to know, Thus says the Lord, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him over and over. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust his cleansing blood and in simple faith to plunge me neath the healing, cleansing flood. I'm so glad I learned to trust thee, precious Jesus, Saviour, friend, and I know that thou art with me, will be with me to the end. Louisa Stead faced a real tragedy. And whatever troubles we will face in this life, if we will trust in Jesus, if we will let him tell us what to do, we will discover a happiness that cannot be taken away from us. That's what I want you to know this evening. Let's pray together. Jesus, you are precious to us. We're just amazed, Lord, at what you did for us at the cross. It says in your word, scarcely will someone die even for a good person. But while we were yet sinners and rebels and outsiders, Christ died for us. You demonstrated your love for us, God, at the cross. And Jesus, we want to put our faith in you afresh tonight. Lord, if there's anything that we are holding back from you tonight, maybe there's an area in our life that we are just too fearful to surrender to you, Maybe we just don't believe that you can come through for us. Maybe it's been a comforting place for us, but we know it's not pleasing for you. Lord Jesus, we want to surrender that to you tonight. We trust your heart. We trust your wisdom. Help us to walk with you. Help us to to surrender every area of our heart to you. And Jesus, we we want to pray for our friends here tonight, anyone who hasn't yet put their faith in you, we ask that, Holy Spirit, you'd come alongside them, that you'd give them saving faith in Christ, that you would reveal to them that you, Jesus, you are trustworthy, that you will never let them down. And we just pray that you'd fill them with your love and that they would turn to you in this moment. We love you, Jesus. We pray that you'd lead us as your church. We ask this in your name.